0: Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hey, we're back for another episode of. I, I forgot. What's this podcast called?
1: Uh, something. Bart.
0: Bart, uh, fill me in here. <laughs> There's a thing
1: a long time ago when
0: I first met Brent and I was uh, sort of the chief of staff for this test leadership meeting and Brent would show up there and I would mess with his name just to see if he was paying attention. He loved it. He was Brett, Brent, Bert, Bobby Sue. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's it's it is a. Challenge to come up with something uniquely insulting or insulting with with my first name. Well,
0: I had a uh, a colleague in college. By the way, this is the A B testing podcast, and I'm Alan, and he's um, some name starts with a B. I went to college with a trumpet player named Doug Burt, last name B E R G T, and it was so easy to call him. His name was Doug Burt little flippy flop bug dirt he did not like that name i don't think that's not even (laughs) consulting like there's a a lot worse names to call someone
1: right uh apparently donald is one of them as an example
0: yes that is a name that is like nobody's gonna be naming their kids donald anymore that's for sure
1: no or karen
0: donald and karen (laughs) those names just aren't used anymore
1: yeah yeah the the karen meme whoo um, uh, certainly not in the next six months are we going to see too many Karens being born, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think if the Phoenix Project takes off like it should, no one will name their kid Brent either because Brent is synonymous with bottleneck. Um, Which is weird because you're not, but I, I'm afraid you're going to be overthrown by the by the power of media.
1: Uh, no, no, no. If you, I mean, again, you... You're saying I'm not because you mostly talk to me, right? I mean, if <laughs> you should talk to my team, I don't know that they would agree with that statement. Uh a matter of fact, actually, that's one of my biggest, my team's grown in size and we got a bunch of new people on here. And, and these are like green horns straight out of college. And one of the things I am, I have a couple of them that really struggle with decision-making and they're like, Oh, well, I had this really myopic decision. Can I set up an hour meeting with you so we can go through it? Oh, no.
0: No, you can't.
1: <laughs> no, you cannot. Please send me
0: a, <laughs> Please send me a message and I'll look at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh, a couple things. That reminds me of the topic I wanted to talk about today, but there's, I need context. So we are live streaming once again, and once again, last minute apologies, I... We were not going to live stream this one because we, had, we were going until about 15 minutes ago, going to have a guest on the show. And I did not want to subject them to that madness. However, that changed. I won't give away the guest; It's going to be fantastic. But they had to reschedule at the last minute, just Brent and I. And I think we came up with a pretty good agenda on the fly, as we usually
1: do. I am super excited about the guests,
0: but we are live streaming and its last minute. Uh, the next time we live stream, I I promise I, I will try. I promise that I will try to get an announcement up in our Slack group, which you can join. If you, it's called one of the three There's an invitation link on the podcast website and probably the easiest way to get there is just to go to modern testing.org where you can read the modern testing principles and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, All that intro to episode 126, I believe, aside, uh, my calendar, so the corona calendar bump, as I call it, was just beginning to subside. And then as I mentioned last time on the podcast, my org is growing, adding some additional technical program managers, not product managers, Brent, program managers to my org. Also... Uh, I have added so we merged a big parts of two parts of Unity together. I have added additional DevOps engineers to my role, essentially doubling the size of that team. I have uh, expanded the size of my documentation team; that's about doubled as well. And I've added a few other odds and ends to my org. In fact, longtime listeners of the podcast will know that four or five ABT three four threes ago, I had Melissa Eden. On the recording, talking about what she's doing at Unity. I originally hired her to work for me on my team when I was uh, director of of QA for services. And when I moved away, she moved to another dev director, did some really great things. And part of this reorg is I get her back. Oh, The long-term plan is there. So So Melissa works for me again. She is already kicking butt, super excited. So my org is a little bigger. And then also, because... I manage the matrix, and my boss came up with a good description for what I do that I don't think I've shared before, but it's stuck with me. I run the engineering operating system. So if you think of engineering as an OS, that it like all of the I, I I make all the systems go. Brent does not like that.
1: No, 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 no. And if
0: you on the podcast, you won't know this, but Brent doesn't like that, but it, but it actually makes sense. What
1: do you mean? I don't like that.
0: You made a face. Like I can tell when you're making a face because normally you're like this level ugly, and like you <laughs> went to like a new level. I go, oh, Brent, uh, taking wow. it,
1: taking it to eleven.
0: So because, and I'll let you comment on that in a minute. But the point was because of that, and going back to your can I schedule time with you? So many meetings. My calendar has, because people want to go, I need to touch every single new lead in the org. Hey, I need to know how things work. Can we have some time together? And I go, Sigh, yes. Here's some pre reading because I've already documented everything you're gonna ask, but the introduction and the FaceTime's good. So I am meeting with a lot of people across the org, which is good. I'm not complaining too much about it. I'm not complaining about the people. I love talking to the people. It helps get things done. What I'm complaining about is the forty five hours of week forty five hours a week I have in meetings for the next three weeks.
1: Yeah. So
0: no, tell me tell so me about your
1: face. It, it, Everything you just said, said kind of aligns. If if you are you know director of the engineering OS, you're essentially the chief cat herder.
0: Actually, yes. I'm. Vi- I'm. Sometimes I call myself chief nagging officer. Yeah,
1: I like that. Uh, uh, the, the CNO. Um, <laughs> I I just try and I try and help people make good decisions. Yeah, it's it's very much uh, a process. Problem in a lot of those regards. It's, it's, I I actually think Cat Herder is a great. How do you, how do you enable the the right amount of autonomy? Because as we know, uh, command and control sucks. You are, you are absolutely in a position to evoke all kinds of evil with respect to command and control. Uh,
0: absolutely. I actually am one of the few people in the entire org, me and the, the people that run our SRE business. SRE operations who actually can carry a process hammer and i am very careful in where i you find nails and hammer them
1: yeah so, yes. yeah uh the thing i the thing i mean the thing i like about you being in that role uh is is you know the responsibility and you know that if I if you could get business converged autonomy down at the root level, you're gonna you're gonna create an environment of awesome. However, as you call out, you can't be afraid to to use command and control, not liberally. What's the opposite of carefully? I,
0: I wouldn't call it command and control. It's adding just enough process. It's putting up some bumper rails where needed so teams can stumble towards success.
1: Right. And and as long as you are, kind of reminds me of a story. So back in the day, I was in Boy Scouts and I was trying to get the bicycling merit badge. And in the bicycling merit badge, you had to do a bunch of really long bicycle trips and the last one was a 50 mile trip okay. my dad uh, joined me on that trip and how he joined me is he f- followed 10 feet behind me in his car beeping every time i slowed down uh, if if the the hill was
0: too did, 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 did that help helped a
1: uh, lot uh right? It was motivational. It did not inspire me to ever want to do another 50 mile trip uh, as a, as a teenager, but I did get to the goal, right? So there's motivation uh, is a, is a careful thing. Yeah. You can use it to get to a goal, but how do you get it? How do you use it so that the next goal achievement is easier it doesn't scale if the the virtual father has to follow behind in the car for every person taking a bike trip.
0: Right. I could talk about the New York the whole episode. And we'll, well, we won't. We'll only talk about it for half or maybe I'll say five minutes and then it will expand to 15. <laughs> One thing is that up until now, and we'll have this continually, but we've had these program managers embedded in the teams and i have all but one or two of those will actually stay there and help their teams but they haven't thought about how to scale that across the org so that's going to be uh, it'll be interesting to sort of dotted line manage that group so it's kind of it's a little bit like my old org where i will have some there are some pms that will be embedded in the team's they work with, which I think is the right thing for that for sort of a senior level technical glue role. But I think it will also be good to use that group to begin to figure out what are those bumper rails, those lightweight processes we need and what are the fewest we need to actually be most efficient. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but I'll, we'll learn more about that as we go. Um, one of the PMs reporting to me is very much in the the data he loves data and analysis and knows all the cool Excel tools. Reminds me of you, Brent, a little bit. <laughs> and I gave him all of my project level data on delivery rates. And he did a bunch of analysis and came back with this gradient, gradient color-coded chart showing me the projects that were more than two standard deviations away from the norm as far as delivery. And I said, yep, those are our three problem projects. So no surprises there, but instead of anecdotally observa- observation-based anecdotes, it was uh, data-based solution. So I-, I think while that one was not insightful, I'm confident that he is going to help find insights in the way we deliver across the org. Because we're moving now to a stage where, you know, up until a week or two ago, we have... 60, 60-ish 60 projects in flight across the organization, things that are actively being worked on that will deliver customer value, we are rapidly getting to a stage where we're going to have nearly 100 different projects in flight across the larger organization that can have customer value. Those things ranging from two-week experiments to uh, sometimes three-month projects to deliver uh, a whole new SDK or functionality to a customer. So Getting some consistency in how we track those things and how we, uh, how we improve based on how we deliver those things is going to be fun.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to hear that that um, that journey. Right? I don't know of any team that has tried to take the journey to that scope and has done so without heavily leveraging uh, command and control and and shame events. And that, uh, that hopefully is just due to a culture at the company that is now dead.
0: Yeah, that's the opposite of our culture, yeah. so I would be very surprised if we got there. So the, I think the bigger worry from our leadership is that we don't add enough process to keep things under control, but, that we, but also that we retain autonomy. I'm about to make a decision, one of my few process hammers. We have one part ooh, of the ooh, organization. Hold on, like let me find team. a quarter.
1: We can make it here right now on the podcast. What are we making? Uh, your decision.
0: Oh no! I've made it.
1: Oh, oh, okay.
0: I've actually made the decision. It's actually one of the few times I'm going to imagine a functional team that split across three team leads. So imagine with a team being roughly two pizza size. Imagine that three of those teams together actually work on a big part of the project. Are You with me so far? So imagine three teams of six to eight. That. Who are all part of a larger team.
1: A larger... Okay. Del- delivering fine.
0: like... Say they're delivering... Uh, they're delivering fruit. Their project is fruit. And there's the banana team lead and the apple team lead and the orange team lead. Uh, this is a horrible okay. metaphor. But that's... They, they're all part of delivering fruit. Now imagine that they all use completely different project management tools. And Kay. completely different project management techniques.
1: Okay. So far, not hard to imagine.
0: Oh! <laughs> well, now imagine me coming out, you know what? I know I'm gonna piss all of you off at once in the uh, in the sake of a greater good and have you all use the same project management tool so you can work better with product so you can't we have a better chance of knowing what's going on so I can help you more and it's one that none of you are using right now. So you all are gonna feel the pain and I'm gonna help you through the pain and we just have to do it. And they're gonna cry. Uh- and they're gonna complain, but we're gonna do it anyway, and within a month, they're gonna be happy.
1: Yeah, it uh, it reminds me of a similar strategy I've taken before, right? It's essentially, instead of having them fight amongst themselves over who has the greater tool, you basically come in, you've defined it, and now, uh, temporarily, they are unified as a singular team on hating Alan yes, in his dictatorial process. That's exactly it. And then right.
0: once once they align on hating me, they'll have a better chance of aligning generally going forward. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy to be the first thing. Their hatred towards me, in this case, I'm happy to be. If that's the first thing they align on, great. Because that means they can align and they can rally around that.
1: A hundred percent on the same page. That a hundred percent. The um, the other thing too. Uh, I may have shared this on a podcast, right? There is a there is a phrase I rarely use. Well, I don't know if it's rare. I probably pull it out of my back pocket now once a quarter, and and the phrase is, and I, I think you could imagine all sorts of places to use this. Uh, but the phrase is, hey guys, here's one one place where I want to take an opportunity to remind everybody that I work really hard to make this team appear to be a democracy. <laughs> Watching Alan <Alice> Parse. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to
0: pull that one out. I like that. that. That goes from your back pocket into my back pocket. Thank you for the loan. Yeah,
1: I think it's... It, it, they, they stop, pause, wait a minute, he works really hard to make it appear, but he's implying, it. you can hear, you can, you can almost hear the gears like, oh, right, right. It, so every now and again, you, you, uh, I find that I have to reassert that ultimately I'm accountable and the way I've decided to, to make decisions is to push decisions down as much as possible. Um, yeah, uh, however, uh, and, and I do try to work hard to, to such that people forget that I have veto power, but every now and again, I need to pull it out because we're in the weeds. It's not a sort of reminder of everybody that, that I'm still the guy in charge. I could give a shit about that. It's just, Oh my God, you are so much in the weeds. It's going to take three months for you guys to figure out how to get out of the weeds turns out i have a weed whacker we're going we're going in this direction so it's
0: interesting you brought that up with whatever you said a moment ago about them being the decision makers as i've added 15 people to my org i've met with them all individually by now at least once as well as in some team settings and one of the things that i continue to iterate because anytime there's a move like this, there's some FUD, some fear, uncertainty, and doubt that comes with it. So I reiterate my style is I, and one of the things I've said to everyone is I believe decisions are best made by the person closest to the work. So I am rarely, if ever, probably never going to jump in and make a decision for you. I can help you brainstorm that decision. I can help um, facilitate a discussion around the decision. Those are things I'm good at, but I'm not going to make those. And I was talking to one of the new DevOps engineers yesterday and just talking, he was, I'm so glad you're not a micromanager and don't work that way. It sounds like you're a lot like my last manager. I said, great. I said, and it, I want you to know just for full transparency, we may have a discussion. Sometimes that gets into like a solution or a tool or how something we could do. And it is not never going to me telling you what to do or telling you what decision to make. It is purely me getting excited and living vicariously through your work since I don't get to do that anymore.
1: <laughs> and, and it's true. It's true. Uh, I, I... Oh, it, 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 that moment where you've, you've gone you're, you're what is it the the seventh stage of of grief right where you're no longer in denial you're like at acceptance you're like yep i don't do things anymore uh but i still have this need okay let me try to do it vicariously
0: yeah, that's all I can do at this point, given the uh, the variety of projects, of, of functions, of disciplines I'm managing across the team. And by the way, for the people on the live cast, I changed the view from speaker view to showing both of us at once so you can see when Brent makes faces when I talk. But if you prefer the other view, let me know.
1: Uh, should we wait the 20 no, seconds? No, 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 whatever. I'll, I'll glance over at chat once
0: in a while. There was a really good comment. Someone said, oh, man, I missed the first 15 minutes. And then before I could type anything in, Percy reminded them that nothing good happens in the first 15 minutes anyway. It's, it's the Brenton Allen BS show. Uh, one other thing I was going to mention about the new org to see if I can remember. Uh, one interesting thing happened is one of my... Oh, actually, this is something worth talking about because this isn't optimal, but I think I'll make it work uh, at least for the medium term. In this merge, I have gained a DevOps team and I've gained a documentation team, which means I have two documentation leads with teams and two DevOps teams with leads and uh, some various other ICs. Right now, I have too many direct reports. I will want to flatten that a little bit, but I've always been hesitant of having two leads. You you mean
1: unflatten it, right? uh, you have too many direct. Yeah, I want to
0: unflatten it a little bit.
1: Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. I kn- yes, I knew what
0: I meant. Damn it! <laughs> so the challenge for me is, I want to get past the their org versus our org stuff. Even though right now, functionally, I have leads for my old org and leads for the new org coming in. So I do have plans, and everyone is on board on learning to on getting a stage where they can learn from each other and begin to share work across them. But I need to consciously start to blend them into one. kind of like the Brady Bunch. I need to spend time making sure I can blend them into one team and I don't stay into the X org and the Y org over time. So that's something I'm working on. Probably something that will come up. There's no immediate problems. I just always avoided having... It's not a great way to do a merger. In this case, I think it makes sense for the short term. I have to figure out how to... It's top of mind on my challenges as far as bringing the org together.
1: Yeah, I don't have enough business knowledge. Like the way you've described it, some far so far, right? Unless there's a sort of a red thread that ties everyone together, team identity is absolutely going to be critical, and is is the way you've described it's going to be hard. Um,
0: Yes, and there's another challenge that I'm going to crowdsource to the three and to you. Uh, but to the three indirectly through you is I didn't worry about having a team identity when I had my team of eight DevOps or yeah eight DevOps and three doc writers, three or four doc writers. Sorry, I should know. One, two, three, three doc, three and a half doc writers, one's on loan and a few other random ICs. It's, uh, I never worried about describing what the identity or role of my team was. Uh, it's very much in, even with DevOps, it's very much still been accelerating the achievement of shippable quality. And also, I have docs because they have a huge impact on the customer perception of quality and stories there. One of the things I want to crowdsource to the team, especially now since I have, you know, eight people in docs and and 15 or 16 people in DevOps and, and six other ICs working on various quality and PM initiatives, is... What does my team do? What should I call my team? Right now in Slack it's called Allen team and I don't like that. I want to find a name for my team and, I'm, I, and the best I've come up with so far which is uh which is the wrong name, but I'm hoping by being by, by it being so wrong that people will come up with better answers is uh uh orgname-glue.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I'm actually thinking of yeah, I don't have, I mean, I have a name for you. Uh, it's yeah, not a good name. I don't
0: think Apple's going to fly. Uh,
1: if, you know, it, it we can work through the acronym, right? And go. <laughs> and, uh, if if it were over here, right, the first letter would be Azure. So that, you I mean, we're, yes, we're already, yes. right? Azure. <laughs>
0: um, oh, are they, oh, wait, wait, wait. Can I help with this? So can the next version of Windows be Azure operating system? For business.net.
1: Azure. Azure operating system. for Azure,
0: oper, Azure OS for business is the new name for Windows. You heard it here oh, first. Announcement. Yeah.
1: So you forgot power, right? It would need to be the power oh. Azure operating system for business.net. Azure
0: powered OS for business. No, power. .net. The power of yeah. Azure OS for business.net. Got it.
1: Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not a functional name, but essentially I'm thinking about uh, our friend's comment so many years ago. And have you put yourself into another position where you run the everything else org? Have I lost well, you? In no,
0: the, no, no, no. Because Is this thing while, on? While true... <laughs> Um, I can actually say that no one sees it that way.
1: Okay, uh, well that's good. That's good, but
0: un- you know, for better or for worse, people still see uh, because of title only and the way I run projects and the engineering operating system. It's Alan's program management org, which is not right at all either. So my org is the majority of my org is DevOps our customer for DevOps and for all the rest of my org, except for documentation, is to enable our internal teams to kick ass and deliver quickly and safely to customers. Uh, When I add documentation to the mix, and again, I fully believe it fits because we've made so many improvements in the customer perception of quality by improving and adding documentation, even in the eight months I've been running that org, that it really fits a lot with quality, and there are some people that remember that I have an extensive quality background, and so they say, "Oh, Alan's quality team," but I really don't really have one of those either. But I'm still working I'd on like, like what do you got? What do you got? How would we then, so I a productive one versus the remainder?
1: Yeah, the actually yeah, uh, the remainder is what I was trying to do. I know, uh, uh, I, I couldn't page load it. The way you just described, like, first off, I'm like, you know what? Engineering engineering operating system, you know, EOS sounds would be kind of cool. You run the EOS team, right? Um, uh, Because no one's heard of that before. But then it's probably not inclusive enough of everyone in your organization, right? Your documentation team is their output is, is intended to go straight to the customer, right? Not, not to yeah, well, it goes both to,
0: directions. We do have some internal docs they work on as well. That helps out uh, uh, marketing um, sales, et cetera, but yeah, largely to the customer.
1: But what about uh, the quality operating system? Right. The problem is, is that acronym is QOS and yeah. so that's already taken. And
0: the, the Q word. what I, I think they may get it in this org. Um, I, I, yeah, that would be internal. Yeah, the, the key word I, I worry a little bit about, about pigeonholing. I got to tell you, yesterday on Twitter, I thought it was funny. Uh, someone mentioned, uh, and this is fine, I wrote this in an article 15 years ago as well, but that you shouldn't blame bugs on testing. Literally 15 years ago, I go dig out the article where I talked about the one that got away, article for Sticky Minds and you know blaming bugs on testing is does it work it's a whole team thing someone was commenting about that yet again very adamant about it lots of threads on yes test, this is ridiculous it, it's hurtful and yeah i totally agree but what it made me think of was and and of course the tangents are here uh is i actually ask that all the time now why did why did we miss this in testing but I'm not blaming i I'm not blaming anyone. I'm trying to get to the root cause of why we let a failure get to production. So what I'm digging in with a team on who developed and tested their own code. And I made some comment said that said, I still say this, but you know, I say this all the time. The difference in context is that my the team I'm talking to is the team that developed the code as well as tested it. And people, which I thought was Interesting and insightful. It talks about how things are changing. And boy, did I, I got busy because of my 45 hours of meetings a week and came back. And people were all up in arms. Like the author's, the author of the original tweet was like, You don't know my context. It's like, That's great. And, and it's a a nice guy. (laughs) I know him and I like him, but apparently I triggered the hell out of him. And then people jumped on the, the whole, wait, wait, why wait, wait. are we getting rid of testers thing? And I thought, oh God, I did not mean to trigger this. I just wanted to talk <laughs> about, this is interesting. This is a thing that I used to be just as adamant about. I have a different view on because the way I run engineering systems now and people just, it, it was a, I didn't realize it was a massively triggering tweet for a lot of people, and I apologize to everyone I offended. I stand behind my words. This stuff works for me; it doesn't mean it works for you because I never f- said that. I'll edit that out. But it just pisses me off. Anyway, what were we talking about?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ignoring you now. I'm trying to find the, the, <laughs> the, the twitters, right? The
0: so already proposes. Uh, I could just be release management. But I think that's there's something to that. It is there's something around how we release. I think release management has some other connotations.
1: Uh, Yeah, I don't like the word management in there, right? It it, I I don't like that, right? It's essentially it evokes. Uh, essentially alan is the the chief bureaucrat in charge well in a way right.
0: i am it could be release and engineering operations speed wagon so it could be reo speedwagon. Sure. i'm just throwing shit out there uh, the, yeah. the, you know how you get a good idea brent right you get a no, lot of ideas and throw the bad ones away but a very good idea on a different tangent is the idea of calling uh the operating system Azure Warp Speed, or AWS for short. (laughs) Because that one's a winner. Anyway, what were you talking about after you were ignoring
1: me? Uh, I was making random comments. After I was ignoring you, I started making random comments around release management. I mean, that was like 30 seconds ago, though. I don't think your memory has gotten that bad.
0: No, it hasn't, Bert.
1: (laughs) The base off of this, I mean, I like... I, curr- I mean, it's not entirely inclusive, right? And what you could do is just throw together a bunch of ideas, get your leaders in a room and say, hey, I want something, I want, like I wouldn't crowdsource this with me and the three, I would crowdsource this yeah, with yeah. your team. Yeah, Th- that
0: meeting's already on the calendar for next week. But I want to try and get some of the, and again, one of my techniques for getting ideas out of people is, is to give them all of the bad ideas to start with because then they will try and improve on those and they'll actually get somewhere. So um, what I'm looking for from the three is, here are all the things that won't work. Uh, Percy asked, like, how is different from SRE or Site Reliability Engineering? And they are on the tail end, uh, for us at least. And I think generally, SRE are looking at things after they're deployed. And I am trying to make sure, like, if I do my job really well, SRE's job is easier because there's fewer incidents and fewer oddities or operational surprises coming their way. Anyway. Yeah, I definitely have a leads meeting next week to go over this where we'll come to a conclusion and present that to the team the following week. That's my, so I I put a deadline in place. That makes sense. Anyway, do you want to, that's my org. We'll hear more about that in the Alan talks about unity section of the podcast, which will continue. But we also oh we're out of time no we got yeah. where did the time go no. we we have a mailbag question which is definitely worth unpacking and talking about can you wait do you know how to read I do can you read the question so I can listen to it again because I ignored you last time you read it to me except for the one part I liked mailbag
1: folks uh, this is from. Who in the who? I whose name I presume is not Christoph Hadas. Right, he's got an accent mark over the S. I have no clue what that means in any language, let alone his. Um, so I apologize for that. Oh no, no I, that's yeah.
0: I think I think that's legit.
1: I'm sure it's legit. I just don't know what it means in terms of how I'm supposed to. I think it's
0: shh. Or a zzz, something like that. Anyway, Christoph, we okay. apologize, but we're going to go over your question.
1: Yes. Hey, folks, I have a question about deployments and creating an adaptive culture. I hope it's the right place to ask. Yes, it is. It absolutely is, having pre-read it. Um, we have a mobile app and are doing loads of experiments. We're also a seasonal business. So, of course, it's essential that we release fast and often. Currently we do weekly releases, regressions take a day, multiple teams contribute to that repo. And if we release a bug, our rollback time is also crap due to review time on stores. I assume app stores in that case. We have got some automation working on doing less manually, but because of how long it takes to restore the previous version, we won't be able to be more adaptive and move really fast. We moved away from agile testing framework and doing a variation of modern testing. It's and seems like not having continuous deployment is holding us back and keeps us working in a predictive manner. Any tips on what to try out?
0: So let me try and paraphrase for understanding. So uh, for clarification, it's how do we do the lean things that you and I preach so much in a mobile app where your release process is limited by the time it takes to get to submit and get feedback and get approved from the the app stores for Apple and Android? Because that, that inherently, that's a bottleneck. How do you work around that bottleneck in the system?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good summation. I mean, there's a couple. One thing that I think is an interesting question, is, or statement rather, is we moved away from the Agile testing framework and doing a variation of modern testing.
0: That it, uh, Let's dive into that first before we go into solution mode. So uh, I'd actually like to understand more what that means because... I consider you know the the modern testing principles to be you know maybe an evolution or maybe an adjunct to agile testing. It's you know we care more we, we I guess the only differences are uh, we have a an emphasis on data, which is not in agile testing as defined by defined by Lisa and Janet. And that may be it. Uh, we may emphasize coaching and consulting a little bit more, but I don't I don't think that much but it's not that much different. So maybe it's just more lean than agile because you and I talk about lean so much. And so much of our modern testing principles are stolen. Many more of those are stolen from the lean startup than they are from the agile testing book, but both are influence. Well,
1: no. So one of the things that's interesting and we've talked about this in the past when we were forming up um, modern, modern or MTP, right? The like, they moved away from the agile testing framework and doing a variation of modern testing. The implication there is Christoph has a, a a feeling that that modern testing is a replacement framework, right? Like uh, implies sort of tactics and steps and, you know, a criteria by which you can evaluate whether or not you are successfully deployed modern testing. And, and I have no doubt that, right, I, I do think modern testing has gotten to the point where it's absolutely bigger than us and not uh, not controllable by us anymore. So I have no doubt that there may be a, a belief around, hey, there's a tactical framework and a progression you can take. You And know, when I think about it, you're right, data coaching. The other one, though, Principle seven, right? Principle seven could easily be interpreted as moving towards unified engineering. Um,
0: oh, yes, there's that one too. I, for, I forget about that because it just happened so naturally for me.
1: Yeah, I would say if there's anything that's a modern testing framework call it is sort of a be hyper cynical, hyper... That's cynical, critical, hypercritical on your need for test specialists, right? Uh, you probably don't need them the way you think you do.
0: That is to loop back to our previous topic quickly and jump back on this is yeah. not reporting to me, but we do have some dedicated QA in uh, my overall new organization and i met with the dev lead in charge of that organization and they not in so many words asked me if i was going to get rid of their qa team and that answer is basically what i gave them i said there's no my my charter is never to get rid of qa my charter is to make sure teams are as efficient as they can be in delivering quality software to our customers and sometimes Maybe frequently or very often in my past. Sometimes that means QA move into different roles that help optimize and accelerate the achievement of quality better. So interesting you brought that up because that conversation came up as well this week
1: in my. So meetings. so what's the real answer?
0: The real answer is probably, uh, God, I hope they don't listen to this podcast, but they do. Uh, The real answer is I expect at some point that team, again, I have dissolved so many test teams without laying (laughs) off a single person. I want to be that clear. I don't lay (laughs) off testers. I work to make sure you find a role where you can be most effective in what you're best at. So I imagine that will probably happen with those people in the org. They'll move into various DevOps and uh, development and maybe quality consulting roles. Um
1: yeah, that, but that's, thing I, is- I,
0: I can't imagine that not happening in an org that I'm in charge of. So I, now, the yeah, thing I is, but you have to disappoint people at a level they can absorb. And I can't whenever you do a reorg, you have to let things keep going. More or less, as they're going for a little while, and then boil the frog in the direction you want to go in. But again, going back to principle seven is, and we're way off tangent on this on this topic. But it isn't that you get rid of the testers and like this Yahoo article and just taking away the safety net. It's you may get to a point where you realize you don't need dedicated testers anymore, and I like to try and help teams get there.
1: Yeah, it was interesting because uh, uh, so. The reason why I asked that question is, as you laid it out, I'm like, okay, let's imagine I'm in Alan's shoes, and this question came to me, and I realized, uh, I don't know that I would have been as smooth as you were in terms of responding, but I knew the answer almost instantly, right? It, like, the way the question was posed, the fact that it's concerned, um Says to me, there is an extremely high chance that there is now an in-place safety net that needs to be worked through.
0: Yeah, but but my role requires a high level of emotional quotient in leading people on a journey to get where I want them to go.
1: Agreed. Agreed. Uh, so back uh, to the question. Right, back I to the actually, question. So. Tips to try out. What what's what's your tips, Alan? So
0: what I would do, uh, have done, would do is one way to get around because this this app store turnaround is real, especially when so, I, when one or more of the app stores sort of have moving goalposts. I shouldn't say sort of. The goalposts on what it takes to have your app approved and deployed are moving. So sometimes almost the identical app that was approved last week cannot get approved this week. So the way around that, of course, is to do re- have remote configuration and fig- uh, figure flags, feature flags in your app so that you can t- take a bug fix or a new feature that you think is correct and you can even deploy it with the feature flag turned on, and the app at startup, of course, it would require, again, if you're stuck if your app doesn't is an offline app and doesn't require network access. You can't do this, but ideally, when your app starts up, it can look at a server, see what flag should be turned on or off, and do its thing. And then if you need to roll back, all you do is flip a flag on the server, that feature is turned off, and you can continue. You can you know, tweak it for the next release, but you're not breaking anybody in the, in the short term. Uh,
1: you have, I think you have f- likely far more experience with dealing with app stores than I do. I have a, a question for you. And, and maybe there's a lingo. So there's two kind of deployment models or update models I see with app stores, right? There's the one where uh, an, an app detects the, the local version of the app detects that there's been an update in the App Store and redirects you to the App Store to do that update, right? That process obviously requires you to go through the the App Store uh, gauntlet to to get an update rolled out, mm-hmm. right? But then there's the other model where I see sort of a an app deploys and it's sort of a Chrome around the app, but doing say business logic uh, updates or, or, you know, UI changes where the Chrome is, is consistent, but the app itself updates from within itself. Do you you follow? Yeah.
0: I could see that. I don't know. how. I haven't done that before and that's a great way to do it, but. It kind of seems the, the app store owners want so much control over their apps, like a massive amount of control of what gets approved. I can't imagine them approving an app that works like that in the first place without some wheel greasing somewhere. So I actually haven't used that model but it is another great way you could do this and i'm
1: i've seen a lot of apps uh, I, that use I, I actually that model. i don't
0: know how they get those approved and what the agreement is with the app stores where they can do that but that's a that's a really an ingenious idea idea and of course you can download definitely download additional assets or or some updates outside of the app store so i guess my advice is look into ways you can work around the App Store requirements. Because what you want to do in the theory of constraints is identify your biggest bottleneck. Hey, our biggest bottleneck is the turnaround time in submitting to the App Store and figure out how we mitigate that that bottleneck. And one is feature flags, but there may be a deployment option that's actually approvable where you can do uh, some classification at least of updates outside of the App Store process, which would be great. But you're right. As I think about it a lot more apps should do this so and for context you know we don't deliver apps we deliver tools with multiple sdks people can use to make apps but we have to test that process so we test it by submitting apps and seeing what apple and android's policies are so we can anticipate those for our customers and give them the right advice and things to do so my experience there is limited uh, from that perspective but i am familiar with at least, at least, of course, the feature flags. But anyway, right from mit- mitigate, a, like, there, there's got to be a couple ways to mitigate that bottleneck that have been actually tried and proven from an app store perspective. Look into those.
1: Like when I read this, and I'm actually reading his responses on uh, the three have come in. This ca- this question came from uh, the Slack channel.
0: And by the way, before you get there, the three are awesome because. Uh, one of the things I look for in a community is self-sustaining and people ask questions all the time and Brent or I not only don't need to answer them, but rarely if ever, is there a case where the three don't respond better than we could have in the first place. So love the three. Thank you for being there. All three of you go on.
1: Absolutely. Love the three. Uh, the, that is just a strong self-supporting community, uh, like if you're not on it, get on it. it. It is worth your time. And then the other thing I wanted to call out, I haven't listened to the latest three, four, three, but, uh, Danny fought. Damn. That dude is awesome. Yeah. Right? And, I, I am and so I'm glad I'm he's so on our jealous, side. I am so jealous that he's working through the, the, the Weinberg biography. Like, um, it, I, I, I mean, actually writing the book and all that, that's probably not the thing. But the fact that he had enough exposure and talking that he's he's actually capable of doing that, like that historical context, I'm absolutely jealous of Danny on. Uh, that's just fantastic. Now, going back to Chris Hosling, like when I look at this, like the very first thing I would want to try to balance. He calls out like they have a problem with rollbacks. He has a uh, uh, CI/CD right if they don't have CI/CD because of app store bureaucracy well they can still have CI they can have CI and then deliver to 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 some version of a master branch that's just ready to to roll out the the thing is is um the limitation is okay it rolls out oops we screwed up Now, he also mentioned it, rollbacks are are painful. And so to me, this says, okay, you need to do something to protect master branch. You need to do something to to make it a a bit more uh, preventative model. Um, But the inability to to sort of uh, do... Rollbacks. Which is why feature flags
0: came to mind right away. You need a way to, if you could just, that's the fastest way, because if there's a problem and simply restarting the app and getting it to reread from uh, the remote config, it's fixed. Rollback is, is that fast.
1: Right. What I would, I would look at is how can we make architectural changes to support these capabilities, right? A config rollback, uh, like what we just talked about, a a business logic. Like in my mind, I've already sort of designed, if I were building an app like this, how would I make it such that I could update it within or roll back from within, right? But
0: again, we're going to look at the biggest pain point, which right now is the ability to roll back or handle a regression in a timely manner for our customers and brainstorm on what are the ways we can work around these bottlenecks. And it's all the things we just talked about. It's like it needs the team to brainstorm what's feasible. It could be architectural. It could be adding a feature flag, which is semi-architectural. And definitely architectural for changing the nature of the app where the guts of the app are actually separate from the Chrome that goes through the App Store. But then there may be other options as well. I'm sure the internet and Stack Overflow, et cetera, are full of ideas. But the team needs to really brainstorm on how to work around the bottlenecks that are out of their, especially when they're out of their control
1: yeah that's uh, you said it correctly especially i I did
0: i know what i'm doing i I don't uh everyone knows is that on this podcast brent is the smart one but i'm the pretty and entertaining
1: one agreed (laughs) (laughs) on all points (laughs)
0: All right. I hope that that was a good discussion that I hope continues. And I hope, and again, probably the three answered that better than you and I did, but I did want to call out the transition from agile to modern testing, because that's something we hadn't heard before and worth talking about. And then just to sort of, and we're not the right people to help brainstorm the solution for this, but we're the right people to through our wrong answers for you to realize that brainstorming and how to work around those bottlenecks is what should be done.
1: The the one last thing I'll call out before we sign off is if if we were wrong and and actually App Store isn't the the primary cause of the bottleneck, then then one of the things that I have found is that actually uh, doing a shift to Kanban is really helpful here, right? Because even though you may not have a, a, a CD system, Kanban's kind of get, gets that muscle going
0: yeah well kanban the best thing about kanban if you use it right it helps you find where the bottlenecks are on your system
1: it does but i'm thinking in in terms of the benefit um i gained from it right you essentially if you if you singularly release one ticket you don't have the this sort of this the scrum impact where all of the bugs get introduced to the product at 11 p.m the night before and if you roll out one small batch chunk and everything's on the floor, right? Right. It it should be easy to roll that back then.
0: To build on that, yeah. One thing is that I think because of the bottleneck in deployment, the team could very well likely be encouraged to bundle up a bunch of changes so they only have to submit it once to the app store. So you're really, as a mobile developer, you really got to find a way to work around that stuff. All righty. All right. We got, we got meetings to go to, man. I got a, this is Fridays. usually my light day and it is today. I only have six hours of meetings, but uh, counting this one, this one's fun though. This one doesn't count. Yeah. This one doesn't exhaust me like the rest of them do. All right. Hey, <laughs> thanks for you guys turning in as, and again, and, and gals, folks, y'all, uh I, once again I promise next time we do a live cast to advertise it in our Slack group a little bit more ahead of time so that people can plan around it. But thanks yeah, all three went of you for this time. for listening. Yeah, I know, I know. Um
1: <laughs> and right. it's been
0: fun chatting with you, Brent. Uh I got the name right. See you next time. Bye all. All right, bye bye.